Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferrance.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progression, success in the music industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is a special bonus episode. So no intro on this one. Instead, we're going to get straight into an interview I did that I think, despite not directly being about music, is very much about the drive and passion that it takes to be successful in this industry or any industry. We'll be getting into things like being resilient in whatever you're doing, learning from your failures, and how music can build confidence. Also, most importantly, and the reason I brought this guest on today, is to highlight his work as a criminal justice reformer and to bring to the surface some of the issues with the current system and how those things can be changed. So, like I said before, as different as this might sound from the normal progressions episode, I think that you'll find it as inspiring as you will informative, I know that I did, and that there are for sure huge takeaways that can be applied to your music career, your business career, your whatever career. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Today's guest is musician, songwriter, author, and criminal justice reformer Jason Mendelson. Jason currently releases music under the artist name Jace Allen, with all of the proceeds of his musical career going to benefit various organizations in the criminal justice ecosystem. Jason has co-founded two different organizations that help people transition from prison to home with the goal of drastically reducing recidivism rates. Prior to this latest season of life, Jason has had careers as a startup founder, a venture capitalist, lawyer, and a professor. His latest single, Battleborn, a collaboration with vocalist Paige Turner, is out now and is in support of the organization Partners for Justice. I've gotten to know him over the last year. He is a passionate and driven person with a fascinating story and an admirable cause. So welcome to the show, Jason Mendelson. Hey, Jason, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, how, how is... Uh... How is life? You're, are you in Colorado or are you in Palm Springs right now? I know you're all over the place. I'm in Palm Springs avoiding the snow right now. <laughs> it doesn't snow in Palm Springs, that's for sure. Uh, actually, it did last year. Uh, did it really? Yeah, and it stuck for like a millisecond, and I was like, what global warming? See, it's, there's snow on the ground. <laughs> Everything's cold. Everything's cold. Uh, well, I guess our audience doesn't know this, but your music career is... Uh, it's a return to music, which they'll learn when we get into your whole story. And you've kind of taken this return to your music passion. You've mixed it with your criminal justice reform passion and your supporting organizations. How did the music side of this project come together for you? Well, you know, I've started as a musician uh, very early in life. It was sort of my way out of poverty. And uh, so uh, my, my mother got me lessons with Detroit Symphony Orchestra when I was a kid. And that was the way that I made a name for myself and learned confidence. And actually, it was sort of the beginning of my intellectual uh, journey, not just an artistic one. You know, fast forward many years later, I've been a whole bunch of other things, as you said. I retired right before COVID as a venture capitalist, and I decided that music was what I wanted to work on. And 
along the way, I also started working in the criminal justice reform space. And I realized, wait a minute, uh, these two things could be linked. Like, why does this have to be two separate things? And so I've been using the music to bring awareness for criminal justice reform programs and the way that Battleborn came together, which, by the way, Travis, thank you so much. You were a huge part of this, was uh, we have a mutual friend who put Paige and I together and we had no idea if we could write songs or, you know, do anything together and out popped two songs. Uh, We did one song called Underwater, which was released uh, last year. Uh, which did real well as of today. It's knocking up around about 200,000 views on YouTube, which is more than I thought it would ever have. So that's pretty cool. That's great. And yeah, and now Battleborn is, uh, you know, Paige and I co-wrote this. We've got a great band, uh, you know, folks from Beyonce's band, Bruno Mars's band, Avril Lavigne, Third Eye Blind, Lake Street Dive. And it was just a collaboration of people who wanted to come together and do something that meant something, right? It wasn't just the music, but it's the people that were trying to help uh, with the music. Yeah. Since I was there, I can I can attest that the vibe was excellent in that session. Everybody was super super excited to be there. Yeah, yeah, you were you were there the whole time. So I, it's it's nice when it feels good because uh, you you and I have certainly been in a whole bunch that's like, oh no, this band is either going to break up or should break up. <laughs> totally. Uh, I wanted to ask you something. Uh, you mentioned that like early in life, music was the beginning of your building confidence and and I guess you I guess you said kind of discovering education how. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. I mean, I grew up in government subsidized housing with a single mom. We were dirt poor. There were times where I wasn't sure when food was coming. And there were times when I didn't feel safe. And music was my original toy. Uh, the guy across the hall, he was. Uh, I, I was told he was a motorcycle gang leader. Um, I, I have no reason to dispute that. He stole a Jeffrey Giraffe <laughs> Toys R Us drum set off a loading dock and gave it to me. And that was my first instrument, but it was also my toy. It was everything. And it was where I could put focus as a young kid on something I really enjoyed. And as I got older, uh, music was so important to me that it, it forced me to stay on the straight and narrow and forced me to do at least somewhat well at school. Otherwise I wouldn't have these opportunities to play music. My parents would say, no, you, you can't do that unless you, you do, you know, you get certain grades and you do well. And so in many ways, I think music was a third parent to me after my mother got remarried. Uh, you know, I had a dad in my life, but that was later. But music was this third parent. It kept me in the straight and narrow. It taught me confidence. You know, I wasn't great at sports. I'm not the greatest looking guy in the world, but I was special in that uh, respect. And it's everybody, I think, at some point likes to be recognized. And and that really, really was what taught me most of the life skills. And by the way, discipline. I mean, you know, and discipline yeah. so important to succeed in anything. And, you know... I don't know any musician who's great who hasn't spent a lot of disciplined time trying to learn something, whether it's the craft, the writing, the the instrument. Nobody just walks up and starts playing. Yeah, it's it takes a long time to feel like you're doing anything right. And then you still learning, realize you got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, well, it's, that that comment kind of remind me of uh, I had a past guest uh, way early in the show, um, a uh, artist and an educator named Aaron Barra who does a lot of work. Um, Using music to empower young women, mm. whether they become musicians in the future is irregardless. It's the fact that they they learned how to produce music and create music, and it's like it is like an empowering thing for people, even though they may not might not use it, you know, in the future. So I think so. it's incredible. You know, as a venture capitalist, I've spent twenty years funding entrepreneurs these these mythical beasts called entrepreneurs that. <laughs> 
some of us know a lot of them. Some of us see them online and say, oh my gosh, you know, Elon Musk or whatever you think your, your version of entrepreneur is. I've taught at the University of Colorado for over a decade. And what one of the things we were trying to teach in our class was about the entrepreneurial mindset. So this idea that by creating something, even if it's your own career or it's a piece of music or it's a sandwich or it's a cake, people who know how to create things have a certain confidence that they don't need to rely on others much to succeed in life, right? Imagine if you didn't have a creative mentality, you didn't have an entrepreneurial mindset. It, there's nothing wrong with that. That's most people in the world. But how scary to me that would be that I would have to rely on, you know, go get a nine to five job and hope the company stays afloat and that they tell me what to do and blah, 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 blah. I think those of us in the creative side, you know, we've got our own issues as well, but uh, <laughs> uh, certainly, but it is nice to be able to have that confidence that, you know what, I can always create something for me. So I'm not going to starve to death. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. You're saying that it makes me think about like, you always hear those stories about, you know, the, the person that creates a company, sells it, creates another company, sells it, creates yeah. another company and sells it. it. It is a mindset. It's like, you know, once you've learned that you can do that, you can create something. You're like, oh, okay, I'll just do that again. I, I understand the concept of crushing it and creating this thing, putting it out in the world. So is there anything about entre entrepreneurs that you've learned over the years that you think a musician could like apply to their life? Because musicians are obviously, whether they want to say the word or not, some form of entrepreneur. Oh, is there, yeah. Is there a big, uh, you know, top two moves that musicians should be thinking about? Yeah. I mean, given that I, I operate in both spaces, the number one thing is resiliency. And understanding that failure is part of the journey and it's okay. You know, I grew up in Detroit where it's a very unionized town. And for better or for worse, if you fail, you're a failure. If you go bankrupt, oh my gosh, it's like a scarlet letter B on your chest for the rest of your life. As an entrepreneur or a musician, we're going to fail more than we succeed. I mean, yeah. most of the time we're going to fail as creative people. Oh my God. And being able to be resilient from that and recover from that and understand, oh, my God, I failed, but I learned these three things along the way. And, oh, my, I'm so thankful for that. Being thankful for the adversity, that's the number one thing that I think crosses over between, you know, a classic startup entrepreneur and a musician that we all that that we should all be doing. I agree completely. I think about uh, most people on this show don't know all of the things I've tried to do in music outside of mixing records, and most of them were a bust. But it's the reason that I can have conversations with a lot of different people. I've learned right. a lot of stuff along the way. And one right. day they're all going to come together. They are. And I <laughs> think day. this, and I think the second thing is, and this will sound stupid and cliche, but I really mean it is surround yourself with great people. No entrepreneur goes it alone. Nobody makes it on their own, right? Nobody as a musician makes it on their own, whether that's friends to pump you up on a day that you just need somebody to tell you you're okay, whether it's that co-writing, you know, that songwriter, co-writer, that's so important. You are co-founder at your company, whether it's the people who are in your band or your production or your, your team. I mean, none of us, not, nobody gets away with going it alone. Nobody. Yeah. A lot of people want to take credit. Like you'll see a lot of people on TV. Well, I did this all by myself. It's BS. It's a lie. Um, <laughs> and so surround yourself with great people, no matter what you're doing, because, you know, we're the center of our universe as creatives and, but, but we can't do it by ourselves. Yeah. I agree. I, it makes me think about uh, the band that you put together for your project. Everybody in that band, they had a role and, and they kind of, they fit together perfectly. I don't know how, how long you, you you looked over who to put together, but everybody had their thing and they did it perfectly. And it was, it was, it's nice work. 
Yeah, I mean, that came together very quickly. I mean, I've been in bands for years that didn't have the vibe in, in that. It was amazing that there were a lot of different personalities. Um, you know, I effectively was the CEO of the project or producer in, in Music Speak, but I try to take a very gentle hand because these people are way more talented than I am. Uh, I had a vision of what I wanted, but I mean, these guys, you know, these cats were incredible. But to have a, a low ego, high confident, super, super competent uh, group of people, man, that's that's the dream. And that's a dream, whether you're doing a startup or whether you're doing a record. Yep, I agree. Okay, before before we go on all these like side tangents and, and your story, I do want to talk, obviously, we want to talk a lot about your, your work in uh, criminal justice reform. I think, personally, I think that a lack of awareness is one of the main reasons the average person doesn't have an opinion or wants to discuss any topic. <laughs> so I guess to solve that a bit, could you tell our audience what the norm would be for, you know, a formerly incarcerated person who is now coming back into their home life? What What's the standard right now? And <laughs> Or is oh, there is God. there... A, there is no standard of sort of how people matriculate back from prison to their homes in this country, except for that all the experiences are equally or equally terrible. I'll use Colorado, which is the state I spend most of my time in working. This is what happens. You uh, you leave prison. By the way, there's a couple of different ways you leave prison. One, you can be on parole. One, you could have served out your time and it's just like have a nice life. You get a $100 and a bus ride to wherever you want to go and there's your new life. What possibly could go wrong? Wow. I mean, I ask myself, let's say, and by the way, you've been in prison, you're, you yeah, PTSD from that, regardless of how long you've been there, you've got the stigma of being, a, you know, an incarcerated human being. I mean, ask yourself, Travis, if I took everything away from you, everything, you've got no family support or very little, you have no job, I'll give you a hundred bucks and you you can, I'll take you anywhere in this country. How, how successful you think you're going to be? How, how confident are you feeling about that life years? I mean, that, I got a couple hours maybe, <laughs> and then I, I don't know. And then I, I don't know. Yeah. So you wonder why, depending on what state it is, somewhere between 40 and 70% of the people matriculate right back to prison, right? Wow. It's rigged, right? And so you have well-meaning people in the prisons, believe it or not. Many of the, the correctional officers and heads of departments of corrections don't want returning customers. Now, these I talk about state-run facilities, the for-profit prisons, they they, they want to churn and burn and get you right back as soon as possible. But I'm, I don't work with those. I, I think those are pretty evil organizations in general. But the state-run facilities, they actually don't, they want to, they would, most of them would like to obsolete themselves out, but they just don't know, they don't have the resources, they don't know how to get people ready. And, you know, my theory is that we need to begin this journey of going home long before you actually go home, right? We You got to be ready the day you step out to get a job. You got to be ready to uh, have your, your mental game straight. You got to be ready to, you know, reunify with your family. There's a whole bunch of things that you got to be ready for. And then frankly, a lot of it's money, right? I mean, you got to have more than a hundred bucks. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, one of the organizations that I work with that I co-founded called Breakthrough in Colorado, one of the things you get when you leave prison is you get this backpack. And this backpack, which is a fairly large backpack, actually comes with a couple changes of clothes comes with a computer and a smartphone, courtesy of wow. Google, with service, uh, which you've been trained on how to use, and it's all set up before you leave. You got a, a couple hundred dollar Target gift card. 
And by the way, we've been working with you to find you a place to stay when you get out, before you get out. Uh, we've also set you up with a whole bunch of employers. More than 95% of the people who go through this program have a job within two weeks after leaving, which is great. Uh, but, but you know, the unemployment rate of people who have been incarcerated is normally five to six times the national average. And, you know, if you if you believe that financial insecurity is a great way to cause somebody to, you know, to commit a crime and go back, then you realize that getting a good job is the key to, to staying out of prison again. Wow. That's uh, OK. So. Those numbers are crazy. I know we, we talked about this and, and I, I remember our, our conversation when we were doing the project, I was just like blown away, but I just wanted like other people to hear, you know, what, you know, it, yeah, the, the, I mean, Travis, the deck is stacked yeah. against you. The deck yeah. is stacked against you. I, I guess what I'd say is this, is I don't believe everybody in prison is a good person. There's a lot of people in prison who should never get out. There's a lot of people in prison who did a lot of terrible things. But I'd ask you this, think about the worst thing you've ever done. Think about could that have landed you in prison? I think most people say yes. You just didn't get caught, right? I mean, listen, listen. A third, uh, believe it or not, this I say the statistic, and very rarely people think about it. A third of the male population under the age of fifty in this country has some sort of criminal record. Wow. Now, it can't it could be expunged? Could be done? It could be quiet. You don't know. But they have been involved in the justice system to where police have been involved. They've been arrested. You know, think about all your buddies. Maybe it includes you or whatever. I won't I won't put you on the spot, but you got a DUI on a college campus. Guess what? That counts. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you think? What's a better solution? I mean, obviously, the solution that you're laying out with um, with breakthrough is amazing. How how do you expand on that? Well, I think if you think about the solution, there's two obvious sort of points. There's the going to prison part, which is a whole bunch of people who spend a lot of time, you know, realizing that the justice system impacts certain populations much differently. That's a very politicized mess. I hate politics. I don't like uh, government because uh, I feel most of it's, you know, even when well-meaning is quite ineffective. I stay away from that, although I think that's super, super important. I just don't put my energy in there. My energy is spent on, okay, you're already in prison, whether you should be there or not, fair or unfair. I can't help that, but I can help you here. And the model has to be, the model has to be that the, the day you go into prison, you begin the process of working your way out, right? It's not go to prison, sit there, serve your time, get out, thrown to the wolves. I mean, Travis, there are people in the state of Colorado that serve their entire sentence in solitary confinement and then are released onto the streets with $100 and a bus ticket. What? Wow. There's a 0% chance that story is going to end well. No. There's a, you have solitary no. confinement. You don't even no. know how to talk to somebody. So the in order for us as society to move on, and this is the most you know heavily incarcerated society on this planet, the United States, we really need to realize that this is a problem that can be solved as long as we put forth the effort to start the process as soon as you're in there. What are we going to do? What's your life going to be like in prison? And how is that going to transition to a successful uh, reentry to, to your community? I Yeah, I completely agree with that. That that makes absolute sense. Yeah, I can't believe that somebody would go from solitary confinement to, you know, oh, yeah. just like, hey, here, go go get a job. Sort, I mean, sort that out. Have you ever met somebody in solitary confinement? 
I have not. So I've met many of them because I go, you know, this isn't just me working on the outside. I go to these prisons. I train these men and women. The first time you meet somebody who's literally coming out of solitary confinement, who has not seen humanity for 10, 12 years, they, they have a certain look. I mean, and it, you know, and I mean, they can't look at you. They're they're. I mean, it's, it's like a broken animal is the best thing I can, I can, I can say. And That's try horrible. and to see the humanity over the 36 week program that we do at Breakthrough to change them over 36 weeks. It's, it's a long process. I mean, that's some of the most rewarding work any human being can do. I mean, if yeah. nothing else, just to return some humanity to these people. If you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game-changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. Yeah. Well, there's a story that uh, that you you told me that I, hopefully you're willing to share about some of your work with people in who were currently in prison, probably in the breakthrough. There was uh, one person in particular that I remember you mentioned has multiple patents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the kind of like drive this. Let's talk about this person for a minute because I think this is amazing. <laughs> so I meet this guy. His name is Abe. I meet him through breakthrough. He's got a He's, he's just got a warm smile, kind eyes, you know, yeah, it's just, he's a super cool dude. He was in the air force uh, for a while, very smart. And I meet him and we start talking about what he wants to do. And he says, well, I want to start two companies. And I'm thinking, okay, great. You know, would you want to start a barbershop or a restaurant? You know, a lot of guys behind the bars, that's what they're interested in. He says, yeah, I want to start a company that does uh, water mitigation and flood relief. I've, I've invented this new uh, apparatus that instead of sandbags is cheaper and better. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's cool. And I'm like, what do you mean by invented? He says, Oh, well, I have a patent. And I said, wait, you mean you, you, you've applied for a patent? He goes, Oh no, no, I I've received a patent. I'm like, wait, what? And he starts to tell me that while in prison, he applied for the patent, got it issued to use patent trade office. Then he tells me another <laughs> patent. And by the way, he showed me these patents. So I've seen them. That's the real deal. He also got another patent in bioscience. Uh, a, a new delivery method for drugs. This is the guy who like would go to the the library at the prison and say, I want to learn to be a radiologist. And believe it or not, would just read everything he could. And then, you know, he's never been in front of an x-ray machine, but like he, you can, he can talk like my father who is a radiologist. Um, <laughs> I mean, just a brilliant, brilliant man who, by the way, was granted clemency during COVID. Colorado had a, you know, COVID clemency program. He's out. He is running his company. He's got three awesome. employees. Um, he it's, he's got, you know, the patent he's selling these things and it's like, why, man, there's so much talent. I have so many stories of people who there's so much talent behind the, the four, four walls of prison. You know, you talk about labor shortages, you talk about, you know, competitiveness, you talk about all the issues that we, we see every day and boy, we've got a lot of talent locked up behind the bars. That's uh that's that's an amazing story. I just I I wanted I wanted to share <laughs> share that with people because I think it's great. Well, is there I guess you you talk about when someone goes enters into into the system, the best thing we can do is start their their journey to the way out. I guess the difference between a lot of people is the system probably 
takes a great person and I guess potentially breaks them to the point that they don't want to do what this guy that you were just talking about did, right? right. That, he obviously wanted to make, he wanted to do that. Is that part of the, you know, is that part of the system that needs to be looked at, I guess? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we do at, in Colorado, which we do a good job of, is people who go through training programs in our prisons are allowed to become mentors and train other people. And so, you know, some of the best teachers we have are people who have gone through programs like this and are still incarcerated who are passing these things down. And I'll tell you, it doesn't take much. I mean, you think about the difference between, you know, if you think of similarities of venture capital and music and prison uh, uh, returning to home, they all have one thing in common besides, you know, we talk about resilience and, and good people is there's really visible success stories that we can all mm -hmm. look at and anchor on, yeah. right? We can look at an entrepreneur and say, wow, I want to emulate that person. We can look at a musician or a producer or an engineer and say, I want to emulate that person. You know, when these men and women leave, one or two success stories like Abe, I mean, everybody wants to be Abe, right? It's, yeah. it's not me coming in as the non-incarcerated middle-aged white male saying, hey guys, this is what you want to do with your life. It's me coming in and being able to tell the stories and, and have these, you know, people come back and say, look, this, this is where I was and this is where I am now. I mean, one of the guys that left, uh, he left prison and immediately got made $100,000 a year as a welder. Wow. hundred grand, like nice. right out of jail. And he's coming back saying, guys, you know, I got thrown in jail for running, you know, uh, you know, a small little drug empire that was that was making me a hundred grand a year. And I screwed up a whole bunch of people's lives and screwed up my own and ended up in jail. And now here I am, you know, I'm a welder and I've got three employees now in my own truck and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's about sharing those stories, the, the real stories of the real successes that that really has transformative change inside the walls. That's awesome. That's really good. So what you so you did a lot of things in your career. How did you end up with this with this passion? When when did this turn happen for you? And you were like, this is what I want to devote the rest of my career or my next career to. Well, I started working in the criminal justice reform space before I retired as a venture capitalist. It, it was something I started back in, I think, 2015-ish, 16-ish with COVID. Who knows, right? I, 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 the idea of how long anything is, I don't know. But let's... Years are hazy. Yeah. You know, as what what's the term? Long days, short years. Um, <laughs> but uh, I... I met a person who was very passionate about the talent pool in the prisons and the idea of that it wasn't giving second chances to people. At least half these people never had a first chance. And it really tugged on my sort of Detroit upbringing. Like, I mean, I've seen some things. I've done some things. I could easily be one of these guys. I mean, it's their upbringing and my upbringing, <laughs> for lack of better grammar, ain't so different. And I really felt I've always been sort of an underdog guy. I've always been under, I've always felt underestimated. I've always been sort of the dumb guy in the room, you know, good musician, dumb guy. It took me till about 25, 26 years of age to have any confidence that I had a brain or was intelligent. Um, and so I've always felt like an underdog. I've always identified with the underdog. And so I started going inside prisons just to see what it was like. And once you got in and you get in there, and you think you're transforming their lives, but you're being transformed just as much. I mean, it is such a powerful, powerful 
experience. Um, anybody who's listening, if you want to come to prison with me in Colorado, you're invited. I'll supply uh, housing and the free trip. Travis, that goes for you as well. Uh, it is, it's just incredible uh, as a way of focusing. For me, I, you know, not only was I, I, I've seen real change. And by the way, this was at a time that I'm working with hundreds of entrepreneurs, right? And so I've been in this world of like helping people and mentoring people. And then you walk into a prison and you're like, oh my God, that these people are even more hungry than some of these needy, entitled, whiny entrepreneurs. So all they care about is being on the cover of TechCrunch or, you know, get, you know, having their, you know, their Twitter account reach a million people. Like these are real people doing real things and who never had a chance. And damn it, I'm I'm gonna do what I can do to help. And and so it started there. And then when I retired as a venture capitalist and said, boy, I really want to go back and try music one more time but I'm not giving this up. And then to find a way to do them both and sort of some, you know, some single ecosystem has been just a gift. I, there's a total parallel there. I, I didn't see it until you mentioned it of the, you know, there has to be an entrepreneurial mindset to, like you said, create your life and all these guys and, and gals that want to get back in the world, they have to create that for them. They have that drive. The same thing that these, whatever Silicon Valley people. And like, like you said, they have, they have that drive too. They're just coming from a different, different place. It's like very similar. It's crazy. I never thought about that. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and, and I felt that my skill set, as, you know, as, as I've gotten older and wiser and, and, and stupider at the same time, I, I think one of the great <laughs> things about getting old is you realize how stupid you are and you can laugh at yourself. Um, but I think my wisdom's gone up, right? Realizing I'm dumb has actually made me more wise it's just, it's, it's, I've, I've really kind of figured out what I want to do now for the next, you know, 40 or 50 years I'm on this planet. Yeah. That's awesome. Can we touch on, um, you've done a lot of, you've had a lot of different careers. What, what part of you drove you to make all those changes and, and like shifts in your life? Is it the underdog thing? Part you of it. Start over a little bit every time. Yeah. You know, it's, I, if you said, Jason, what is your superpower? I have two superpowers, one that's really cool and one that's kind of just funny. My super cool superpower is I realize when I'm having luck and I'm not afraid to take it and run with it. Uh, that's my superpower. And my second superpower is I'm able to speak to somebody who plays a musical instrument without ever hearing them play know how good they are. It's a very strange thing, uh, which is how that band got put together. I didn't hear anybody play. I just talked to them and I was like, yeah, this is the right band. But uh I've just had a lot of luck, both unlucky and luck. You know, I, I assumed I was going to be a professional drummer. I went to college in a, in, a, in a scholarship situation and I was playing intramural football and immediately broke my arm and, and lost the ability to use my right arm and got 70 stitches. And they're like, you're never going to play again. And so that was like, oh God, you know, happy story. Many, many years later, I can play again. I'm not, I, I don't quite have the physical ability I used to when I was a kid, but I, I can get by. I can still... I can still make a, a good bar band proud, um, but uh, <laughs> I had to make a switch. I, I, that was a force switch. And I was like, well, all I am is a musician. I'm an idiot. Like I can't do anything. And I took a class in economics that I found really interesting because it was about human behavior and incentives. And I was like, well, you know, of course, you know, I've, I've from the school of hard knocks. I've seen a lot of stuff that people my age haven't. This is easy. And I found a professor who took me under her wing and was like, you're going to you're going to be really smart one day. So she was sort of one of the first people who told me I was smart and I, I graduated with a degree in economics and of course was completely unemployable because I, you know, I couldn't get a job. It was like, well, you're just a stupid drummer with an econ degree. And so, you know, everybody got a job but me coming out of undergrad and I was talking to some guy at a bar one night and this is where luck kicks in. 
and, you know, I was with my girlfriend at the time and all of her, she and her friends were all celebrating their new fancy jobs they got out of undergrad. And I'm the idiot sitting at the bar by himself drinking alone. And this old guy who's probably about 40 at the time. And I start talking and it turns out he works for a company called Anderson Consulting, which is this big, you know, computer programming software engineering company. And he, we start talking about how I don't have a job. And he's like, how on earth do you not have a job? I'm like, because I'm a stupid drummer with an econ degree. And he's like, you know anything about computers? I'm like, yeah, you know, I can hack around and whatnot. So he hired me and I became a software engineer. And I was like, well, that's awesome. So I was now a validated, not stupid drummer. And then I decided I want to go back to law school because I want to be an entertainment lawyer because I could take my passion of music and I could help people. I can be an entertainment lawyer. And then I realized, you know, we're not supposed to stereotype people. It's really bad these days. You know, we've been told, but I kind of think all entertainment lawyers are idiots. Um, and, and most of them are evil. Um, sorry if you're out there. If you're not an idiot, not evil, I, I, could, I have some good clients for you. So, you know, hit me up. But I just was like, I can't do this. Like morally, I couldn't be an entertainment lawyer. So I was like, oh, my God, I'm in law school. What the hell am I going to do? And then I, as luck would have it, I started dating somebody from the Silicon Valley. And she told me about these things called venture capitalists and these things called entrepreneurs. And I was like, and my only question was, can I keep my hair long and wear blue jeans? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, as a lawyer? And she's like, yes. I'm like, well, there's my job. So I, I did that. Um, as luck would have it, I ran into a client who was a venture capital firm. And they asked me if I wanted to join them. And I took the big jump and went from being an in-house lawyer to uh, you know, running that venture firm over time and becoming a venture capitalist. And then you know, now we're an entrepreneur. So then I decided to start a company. I mean, it's not been a plan. Right. It's just been sort of like improvising in a jazz sort of situation where you hear something and you're like, I'm going to go that way. Right. Especially as a drummer. Oh, I'm going to play. I'm going to play off the bass. You know what? Actually, the keyboards where it's at right now, or maybe I'm going to cue the cue the horns to come in. And I kind of feel like my life's been in a, in a big improv that has that has not yet fallen apart. So we're you know, it's the longest jam session of all time. Um, and, and it hasn't crashed yet, so we'll keep playing. <laughs> That's amazing. That's so good. Um, well, it's, I talk a lot of shit about luck, and I'm like sitting here listening to your story. I'm trying to figure out how how I'm going to fight you on luck. Um, Why? Because you think it's it's it, luck is too dependent, or or what do you think? Tell me. No, I think I, I think luck to me is I, I don't know who whose definition this is, but I over time I've come to agree with it is where like your preparation meets an opportunity. Like if you're not ready for something when it, when it comes your way, then you're never going to get that opportunity. Some people would la label that as luck. The, I feel like, I don't know, you tell me, maybe I'm wrong. I feel like it's your, your understanding of people and your interaction that has been your preparation that allowed you to take advantage of these opportunities. Maybe. I mean, look, luck, luck favors the prepared. I will tell you that I've had so many people in my life complain that they're not lucky. And I don't tell them this because they'll hate me, but I secretly think in my head that I can pinpoint, you know, three, four, five things where they were having great luck that they were too scared to seize, too scared to make the change, too scared to make the jump. Right. I do think some people are luckier than others. I'm not saying that luck is evenly distributed, but I do think the ability of recognizing it and using it and, and maximizing it, that is that's a skill and that's a skill that I have. Um, whether it's knowing how to interact with people or whatnot, I've always been, I've always been good at that. I think it was more or less a survival instinct that I, you know, when I was young, like, you know, when you don't have stuff and you don't have food and you don't have things learning to 
learning to make people like you is important so you can eat. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that that started early in my life, but, um, you know, I, it's funny. I, I have a love hate relationship with people. So it's, it's, uh, one of those things. <laughs> That's, well, you know, uh, I guess I didn't think, I guess fear is probably maybe one of the things that holds people back the most because that's the thing that'll make you skip those opportunities or not recognize them, which I think is, uh, is interesting. A lot of people, you know, the fear, the fear is always the thing you should probably consider doing. I, I agree. You know, what I always ask myself when I have an opportunity, well, most people jump to the, yeah, but analysis, right? Hey, I'm gonna give this opportunity and they, Internally going, yeah, but because humans are don't love change so much. Right. I always ask myself is what is the opportunity cost of me not doing this? For instance, if I do this and, and this chance never comes back, am I going to be like, oh, my God, right? What, what was I thinking? Like, assume I'll never get this opportunity again. How pissed yeah. off am I going to be? How much regret will there be if I don't do it? And then the other side of the coin is if I stop doing what I'm doing now to do this, can I go back? Like, for instance, Travis, if you decided tomorrow you want to be a ballet dancer, and I wouldn't recommend it uh, given, you know, what I know of you. But let's say you decide you want to be a ballet dancer. Could you come back and do engineering a year from now? Of course you could. Right. It's not like people are going to like, no, no, he's he's out. Like, no, that's not how it works. And so I've always sort of said, well, as long as I feel like I could always go back, why not go forward? Ooh. I like that. I, everybody should pause, go back, listen to that, write it down. Maybe consider getting a tattoo of it. But, but uh, that's that's good. That's really good. I love that a lot. Um, I'm not sure how to follow that up, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with a hard tangent. Okay. So there's. Uh, I saw an interview. I'm al I'm always like trying to research before these. I saw an interview that you did with somebody, and there was something you discussed which I'd never really thought of that I thought was super fascinating, and. It was this idea of flipping the hierarchy. Would you be interested in sharing that with people? Because I think it's, I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> this is wow. Uh, you did it's your a hard, a hard tangent right here. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's it's going back again. I know I'm a little bit of an unusual guest for some of your listeners, but I, this is the music for me. So I have always used music as a superpower in non-music jobs. So, for instance, so I get this job at Accenture, and I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole. And there's all these partners and then senior associates. And I'm, you know, I'm 28 levels down and which is fine. I, I got no problem starting at the bottom. But one of the things that I, I realized was, well, wait a minute, I have this ability to do music. I have this ability to put together a band. And so I found a whole bunch of partners that all had their high school or college bands who no longer play. And I said, we should put together a band and play the holiday party. People will love it. And what do you think everybody says to that idea? awesome but how do we do it and i'm like don't worry i'll be the band leader i'll get the charts i'll do all the work you just got to show up i'll mentor us through i have a i have a little saying i've never been in a band that sucks and i'm not going to start now although there's been some close calls um and what it did was it flipped the hierarchy and so far as in the band i'm the senior partner they're all the junior people and when you go back to work the next day yeah, I'm still the junior person, but they've seen me at a level where they report to me and it would flip the dynamic. It was no longer Jason Scrub. It was Jason. That's my band leader. And it helped me get ahead. And I have done that every time I've taken a new 
job. I have always used sort of the let's get the band together, let's put it. And I usually end up having some fun, too. It's not just completely about flipping the hierarchy. But I've always encouraged people to find something that you're excellent at and bring that to whatever you're doing so that people can see you in a leadership position. People can see you in a position of excellence so that they'll say, wait a minute, if that person's excellent at this, they could probably be excellent at my company. And it's just a way of, of flipping that hierarchy. So, so fascinating. When I read it, I was, I was just like, this is so, this is so interesting. I never in my life would have thought to do something like that or have had somebody tell me, Hey, you should try this. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. I just, yeah. You take a corporate job one day, which I hope you don't, but you take it and you find out who's out there and you say, Hey, let's put together a song. I'll record it. And suddenly you're the CEO, right? And you've just flipped it. Yeah, no, it is. It is pretty, this is pretty good. I love it. Uh, so one more question before we work our way to the, the ending, I'm, I personally enjoy like looking for, you know, inspiration for, you know, growing a music career from outside the music business. Cause I think that musicians generally are a little closed minded and, you know, dependent on vibe and luck and all, all these things that I'm kind of like, it just, you know, get over, get over the vibe and the luck. You, you can, you need to take control. But is there anything from your various careers or your current stuff that you think a musician should think of, whether it be how they approach their business, how they approach their creative process, anything from outside music that you think is powerful for them? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it won't come as a huge surprise, but owning your intellectual property, mm. not giving away is the, is the key, right? If, I mean, we've seen this with Taylor Swift. We've seen this with other people who have made, you know, by the way, go, go back to Madonna as one of the trailblazers of owning her brand and owning her intellectual property. The stories of both entrepreneurs and the stories of musicians who got desperate and effectively sold their careers or their company for somebody dangling a little bit of money or a little bit of this or a little bit of that, there's a hundred percent regret rate. <laughs> I mean, because as I like to say, you know, a hundred percent is zero, is still zero, and it's 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 just sad to me how many people I see this in the restaurant industry, I see this in the music industry, I see this in venture capital. You know, what you have as a creative, your biggest asset is what you create, and that is. That is gold, diamond, platinum, whatever. It's it's more valuable than anything. Make sure you treat it with the respect and the care that you that you need to, because there's no going back. That is right. Once once you've sold your masters, it is Game not over. easy to get them back. Nope. Not not easy. Nope. Amazing. Um, okay, so the two last questions I know I I think I I told you what they were. Was there a time in your career that you chose to redefine what success meant to you? Yeah, twice. I think my early career success was to find my money, frankly. I think this goes back to me feeling insecure as a young lad financially. So success to me meant, can I eat? Can I go buy clothes? Can, could, can I go buy a guitar? Oh my God, I remember the first time I could just go out and buy a guitar. Like that was a huge, huge deal. Then my second sort of thing as I became more successful and money wasn't like, I wasn't worried about running out of it. It was my success was defined as do the entrepreneurs that work with me like me, do they feel good that they took my money and that I'm sitting on their board and do, do I feel like I'm, I'm helping them and do they, and, do, and am I giving good customer service to the entrepreneurs? 
I know this is going to sound crazy, but I've had a, a pivot in the last probably 18 months to I'm defining success. Am I happy? I spent 48, 49 years on this planet, never concerned about my own happiness. I thought it was selfish. I never thought about it. And I kind of had an epiphany about 18 months ago. You know, I lost somebody in my life that I really cared about. And it made me evaluate a whole bunch of things. And I think my success now is based on my happiness. And while that seems very selfish, if I'm happy, I'm better in life toward everybody. I'm better. I'm a better husband. I'm, I'm a more effective musician. I'm a better writer. I'm better in my prison projects because I'm only as good to them as I am good to myself. And so now success is based on, am I being good to myself and I'm being as happy as I can because the benefits to me and the people around me are, are huge. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. It's when, when people are, I don't know, when you're not satisfied with yourself, it's so difficult to, to be the best version of yourself when you're doing a job or when you're yeah. with your family or whatever. And so many people, you know, fix that last. I think most people fix that last. Yeah. It's tough. It's it tough. took a while. It took a yeah. while. So I've had three pivots. Pivot one was money. Well, not pivot one. First choice was money. Second pivot is, am I going being good to others? Third pivot is, am I being good to myself? Love it. Love it. And then right now, last question, what is your current biggest goal and what is the next smallest step you're going to take to go towards it? I mean, it's, let's, let's face it. Everybody should be laughing at me. Uh, who's listening to this. I'm a 50 year old trying to make it new in the music business. Um, I know it's, it's fucking stupid, right? I mean, like, uh, I should just go home. Um, I've decided my goal is I want to be a producer. So does everybody else get in line, I know. But I actually think I have been good in my entire life fixing problems. That's one consistent thing. And if I look at the collaborations I'm doing with other musicians, they're bringing me their favorite broken toys, so to speak. This is a great song, but it went nowhere. And I'm radically changing these songs, and I'm getting tons of satisfaction out of making these things better and helping them you know, further their careers. And so... I am putting myself out there much like you did, you know, st uh, trying to help anybody who will come to my door, you know, send me a song. I'll take a whack at it for free. And if you like it, we'll figure out what 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 makes sense here. That's sort of my goal. I'm right now working with a couple of people in Boulder doing that. That's my small step. But I think, you know, call me a really less talented, uglier version of Mark Ronson. Uh, that's kind of <laughs> like that's kind of the goal. <laughs> I love it. Well, I just. What do you think currently is harder, the, the the music business or like the venture capitalist entrepreneur world? Uh, it's harder to 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 eat as a musician for sure. Uh, venture capitalist, if you can get it up and running, you at least get you get some coin. But I think they're both really really hard. I think music's harder because it's more personal. I think if you're going to succeed, you really got to be in touch with yourself and with others. And that's hard for some people. True, very true. Jason, this has been uh, this has been awesome. I I really enjoyed this. Thank you for letting me kind of be a very unqualified interviewer when it comes to uh, your your non music side. But I just like I said, I I think you're a really awesome person. I want I wanted to share your story. I wanted to share you know what you're doing for people. So uh, with that in mind, please tell people where they can hear your music, where they can work with your causes, all the websites you want to share, go for it. Yeah. So look, I'd love it if people would listen to Jace Allen, J-A-C-E-A-L-L-E-N on all major streaming services and especially YouTube. Please go check out Battleborn, which I did with Paige Turner from The Voice, uh, P-A-Y-G-E Turner. I'm at Jace Allen Music. 
I'm at Jason Mendelson on Twitter. Uh, if you want to email me, I'm Jason Mendelson, one word at gmail.com. J-A-S-O-N-M-E-N-D-E-L. Oh my God. J-A-S-O-N-M-E-N-D-E-L-S-O-N at gmail.com. That was hard. Um, I answer every email. Uh, I go to inbox zero before I go to bed every night because I've got terrible OCD. So if I don't answer your email, assume either you were massively offensive or I'm dead. <laughs> that's uh that's that's that sums it up do you now total uh nobody's going to care about this except for me maybe you you go to inbox zero do you use like superhuman or anything i do I superhuman man it is it's really the, great oh god it's 39 dollars a month that every time i get charged i'm like damn guys i don't know how you figured out a 40 dollar a month email client but it is transformative it is so good it's it's uh it makes <laughs> it makes email fun in the reminder thing yeah. anyway all right. Well, accidental <laughs> sponsorship from uh, Superhuman. Let me yeah. let's let we'll put an affiliate link or something in there. Dude, this was awesome. I really enjoyed it. I uh, hope so to see I. you soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk soon. So that's it for this special bonus episode. Thanks to Jason Mendelson for taking the time to come and chat with us. Please be sure to check out his music under the name Jace Allen. Remember, it supports all of his causes. Also, please take in some of the things that you may have learned about the criminal justice system and share those with people in your conversations. I think bringing awareness to issues and having conversations like this is, in my opinion, how we can really make change happen no matter what the issue is. So on that note, thanks to all of you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this step outside the music industry as much as I did. And so I will see you all next week for a return to our normal progressions programming.